0: Hi, welcome to Mobile Interactions Now, the podcast where industry pros share first-hand experiences on making mobile interactions work. I'm Kevin, and I'm part of the team here at Tintec. On today's episode, Gene is joined by Marco Spies. Marco is co-author of the book, Branded Interactions, and co-founder of Thinkmodo, a Berlin-based design and innovation company. Marco talked with Gene about how best to apply brand personality to conversational design, and make it actually satisfying for the users throughout the buying and support interactions.
1: Marco, welcome to the show. I am so thrilled to finally have you on the show because um, this is the 25th episode of the Mobile Interactions Now. uh, So far, we've been dealing with a lot of technology part of this, and I really wanted to talk about this pressing topic of brand strategy and design. And... Part of the reason being is just that the, now the technology is, is catching up and providing um, a lot of components to work with, and the brand side of the conversation has been kind of lacking now, and it's becoming important as we are looking at digital interface as really a primary experience touch point for many brands now. So before I get totally lost in that, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, and then we take it from there.
2: Yes. Hi, Gene. Thank you, first of all, for for having me. Uh, Yes, I am Marco Spies. I'm the CEO of ThinkMoto, a design and uh, innovation company based in Berlin that I co-founded 10 years ago uh, together with my partner Katja Wenger. And what we do is innovating brand and product experience for companies Uh, quite large companies like Volkswagen, Audi, Lufthansa and the likes, but also for quite a broad range of German SMEs, the so-called German Mittelstand, and a number of startups from uh, the Berlin ecosystem, but also from Russia, from the US. Uh, We're currently working for the UAE. Maybe it's important to add that one of our focuses as a design and innovation company for the past three years has been in creating conversational experiences. So we have created chatbots for sales and customer service automation, um, but we have also been working on the Audi in-car voice assistant for the future. So this is uh, this is like a concept study for the future. And recently, I may add this as well, Katja and me, we have been uh, co-founding another company called IGP, where we develop a platform for conversational commerce as a service
1: wonderful especially in in this new reality pandemic reality that we are going through i do believe that digital interface is becoming first or throughout the entire customer journey just this permanent touch point for many of the consumers especially Tell us a little bit, sort of like a state of the art, where we are at in terms of making it for both meaningful from the brand's perspective, strategically, as well as delivering, fulfilling, you know, satisfying experience for the the users.
2: Yeah, first of all, I, I totally agree with your analysis and especially digital conversations can play a lead role in that new game that is now happening. But I think we have to go a step back and start with a, a change in perspective of what brands are and what they can be. When we ask how brands make their digital experience work, we already assume that the digital experience is something that can be viewed separately from other communication means, but it is not. Uh, I think it is important to understand that the digital experience of a brand is as much part of the brand as any other aspect. It, It actually is the brand. So the way a user experiences the brand will always be related to the brand perception overall. And the same goes for conversational experiences. Whenever a company starts developing a website, They know exactly what to do today. They know about user experience. They know about how to place the brand. But when today a company starts a conversational project, they seem to have forgotten about all of this. I always say they start like it's 1997. If you look at the website of Apple in 1997, you will see a website that has nothing to do with the brand as we know it. But it was 97. There was really a, a technical journey to set up a website. And if you look at Apple's website, 10 years later in 2007, you will see that there is everything that we associate with the Apple brand. There is the white space. There is the kind of photography. There is the copywriting. There is the shadowing. There is everything uh, that makes Apple, Apple as a brand. And you will also realize that between 2007 and today, which is 2020, 13 years later, nothing has happened in the, in the website experience. So it's actually, websites have reached a plateau uh, where they can't go beyond in terms of brand experience. Now we have a new channel, which is conversational experiences. And this new channel uh, allows us for much more intimacy and directness, when a company starts with this, they start as if there hadn't been all the experience in branding and user experience and so on with other mediums, and that is something that makes us actually say we have to we have to change the situation as a as an innovation company and and, and brand company.
1: I, I hate dating myself, but I, I kind of know what you mean. Back then, the first generation of a corporate website um, that had no, uh, you know, almost tactile feeling that you experience now, uh, even though it's a still a screen experience. It's, it's, it's all that. And, and but you're mentioning this conversational experience that is being added to this. And uh, I'm all for not having to repeat and, and relearn what we learned when website first came about and go around take that much time because what we don't have now is is that much time and everything is incredibly happening faster a lot of conversational experience yes there are some live chat uh, interaction happening on a corporate website you know all those things but for the most part The website is uh, categorically, for some people, it's technically an owned property. You you own that channel. You can put your branding touch to it. But when you are working on for example, using WhatsApp or other chat app, other social platform and bringing that conversational interaction experience to that platform. Now, to to me, like that changes a lot of things, what you can shape, what you can own, what, how much of a strategic execution you can do. So how do we even, it doesn't sound like an easy task. So how do we even approach how to think about this?
2: Yeah, what you said is right. We we do not have that much time uh, and we do not have the time to reinvent the wheel completely because user expectations are much bigger than they used to be because they know how digital products can actually work. Uh, so we better do it right right from the start. And one thing that companies are lacking or missing most of the time when they start with this new conversational channel is to get the, the brand right in that channel. And what you are saying is, is something that comes additionally on top. You are usually not in your own space, but uh, you're in a co-branding situation somehow. But this is, to be honest, not really new. Um, because if we look back at the time when the apps came up and whenever you are in a context of, of Google Maps or, or social media and so on, you're in a co-branding situation as well. So you, have a, you usually have a, a multitude of, of brands. If you, if you have your phone in your hand, let's say you're using Facebook and you're looking up a brand on Facebook, you may have, let's say, that the brand of the phone. Then you have a, a layer of, of the, the operating system. Uh, you have the layer of the app, which may be Facebook. You may have even something like Maps within Facebook. And then you have your own brand. So you have a multitude of, of brands. And the same goes for um, things like uh, Alexa uh, and so on. So if you are in a co-branding situation. So, But what is important here? The thing is... What you really have to make sure is that your chatbot has a personality and has a brand-related and brand-relevant personality. This may not be identical with the personality of the brand, but you definitely have to know about your brand's personality in order to define a relationship, really uh, like like, uh, they were how you say in English, kinsmen, or, uh, or relatives uh, and they belong to the same family and the personality of the bot has to have the same DNA basically like the, like the overall brand. We at Thingmoto have developed um, a branding model uh, already almost 10 years ago, which is called brand bios. And this uh, branding model, at the core of it, is actually the brand meaning. That's what today everybody speaks about purpose. That's what ex- what it actually is. So, company first of all, of course, needs the purpose, uh, needs to know why it is there for. But the second uh, aspect that is really important is behavior, and BIOS actually stands for behavior, image, offering, and story. And these are the four aspects that we do have to understand of our brand in order uh, to create any brand relevant uh, digital application.
1: Is there a better way to get everybody who were um, having different functional roles to talk talk about strategy differently up to now to create like, okay, so this is sort of our brand DNA that we've been talking about. This is what we are. And this new chatbot as an interface that sort of leaps up to it. How do enterprises, companies deal with this?
2: well the the first thing is you start with um imagining bot as a person um with a strong attractive personality that people can relate to um if you have defined this, it will be really differentiable on any third party platform to just get back to that point so we conduct a, a one day workshop uh, where we Define together with the client, we define the personality of the bot. Uh, from this personality, we derive behavioral attributes. And that is important. It is a, it has to. These attributes have to describe the behavior of the bot. Then we cluster them. We create something that is called brand filters, and we define those brand filters for the different aspects of the bot. This is the language, but also the overall tone of voice, the articulation, also visual aspects, because, you know, talking about chatbots, most of the people think of these uh, these little windows in, in the right corner of your, of your browser that open up when you click on them, and then you have something that doesn't understand you. But this is not what we mean when we talk about chatbots. So chatbots are actually, can be really multimedia can um, include rich assets and all this uh, so we have to think about that as well and once we have defined all these attributes we start writing example uh, start writing sample dialogues so there are certain situations uh, in bot design that you always uh, that you always have to deal with uh, like a welcoming situation like a goodbye scenario so we will define these in uh, in that workshop situation but uh, this is mostly to get the client's input and also to get the client's buy-in. We have to say at the same time, after that, we are working with a screenwriter or or someone who is really, really good in writing dialogue. What he does is he creates situations based on the use cases that before, we discovered before, together with the client. So this is the personality aspect is only one. The other aspects are really to deep dive into into your users' needs and and do all the UX stuff that you always do when you do build a website. So so we gather all the the user tasks and so on, and then we define the use cases or user user stories. And based on those, the screenwriter will actually create situations of conflict. And that was something that we learned that I wasn't used to as a as a designer and I studied language actually so that is where my love for chatbots also comes from but I wasn't aware of the importance of this until we invited a screenwriter to work with us to think of conflict in situations especially in the sample dialogues. so so uh, what the writer would do is create dialogues based on conflict and in that by using conflict rich situations, you will learn much more about the behavior of your bot. When we created the audio voice assistant, we created a situation where the voice assistant actually contradicted to the driver. And the driver started, uh, in, a, in another situation, started to make fun of the voice assistant. So there were conflict situations. And we could learn um, to what level can the bot really live this personality, its personality to have also have really character. The bot with the most personality up today is still um, Kit from Knight Rider. You know, that's, that's a bot, you know. <laughs> that, that bot has character and has personality, but it may have too much for a, for a car company to implement something like that in a car.
1: I still need to play with this because I was complaining the BMW voice um interface is only like very formal. It's like we can sign. Yeah, and, and and just lacking some playful. Yeah. that that I wanted to talk back and things like this. But I, I know we talked about first-generation website and all that. But when we hear, I think, one of the, at least in, in American context, one of the fastest examples for people to um, realize how far we came along is, is, do you remember Microsoft Clippy? Yeah, sure. That that's. Paperclip, and I—I I was actually in Las Vegas when Microsoft was announcing it way back when, and I was just completely f- flopped. But, but here's an example: is a, such a character because it didn't exist before. It has a personality. It just—it's unfortunately it became such a goofy, yeah. not so positive, not satisfying experience. And and I mean, this day and age, I will be infuriated if I have to actually need any kind of that kind of assistant, virtual assistant to figure out how to use an application. But back then, that was the reality, right? People were getting lost what those menus are doing. And this assistant was designed to do it, but it, not to a success. <laughs> so fundamentally, what has changed that, that promises this experience will be a lot more satisfying for both ends.
2: One thing we learned is that we need something like a mode switch, especially for something like an in-car voice assistant whose task it is to guide me and to also, you know, guard me somehow um, and beware myself of, of, the, of, um, of critical situations. It needs to speak in a different voice than, uh, than when I'm, uh, I'm just having a, a, a chat with the bot, which should also be possible because we want that users engage with the bot and speak to it. And um, so that also the bot, and this is also from a bot design perspective, important. The more interactions we have, the more we can learn about the users and the more uh, personalized the, um, the interaction can be. So mode switch is maybe one way to deal with it. Um, you have something similar actually uh, when you build uh, text-based chatbots. You can uh, guide where, very well uh, through quick replies, and you can have. We build a chatbot where we uh, for for Lexoffice, a German uh, accounting software. It was initially created for a campaign, Black Friday campaign, which should last for uh, six weeks. Uh, in the end, it was so successful that it's still online and it has now grown from sales to a customer service bot. We built really strong UX funnels and we had like four or five UX tracks, different tracks, and we guided the users once we had separated them uh, and recognized them as a certain user type. We, we could lead them with quick replies through their funnel. And we had with this bot during in during the campaign uh, time, we had a misunderstood rate of 3%. So that means only 3% of the users' intents were not recognized.
1: That's a fantastic result, I, I must say.
2: The key to success were actually two things it was the UX, and the other thing was personality again. It had an avatar that would move. We had a full screen a web chat, actually, it was on. on um, Facebook Messenger, he would react to certain intents by jumping around, or smiling, or crying, or whatever. So it had really emotions that you could see. I would say these these two or three things are really important for success for bots.
1: When you design, um, you know how a lot of things come from the persona understanding what we as brand experts and, and the designers think the persona of the user will be. Has this changed with the availability of the data?
2: Well, for conversational, it's, it's still hard to say because there is very little data uh, so far about user behavior in conversational environments. From my perspective, the craft of UX is actually pretty much the same in conversational than, than with any other uh, digital medium. Um, And yes, we segment our target groups, we build personas, uh, and we take them through the journeys and we identify their user stories. Uh, I think it's important to base personas on user research, on real research. So by now, most of the time, most of the projects that we work on, uh, we actually do speak with real users before. And so we can inform personas really by, by real user research. For bots, it is more important than for artists to really to continuously track what's happening. How do users actually interact with your bot? Especially since we have so little knowledge uh, beforehand, so there is not that much standardization like we have in web design. We have a quite a quite a lot of freedom for for uh, design and and trying and experimenting and doing things and, and learning instantly and improving immediately.
0: Thanks again to Marco Spees for joining us today. Don't forget to tune into our next episode for the conclusion of our conversation with Marco. You can find more about Marco and ThinkMoto at thinkmoto.de. To find out more about Gene and TinTech, visit tintech.com. Make sure to subscribe to Mobile Interactions now in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. On behalf of the team here at Tintech, thanks for listening.